Jacob, and I am a former Harmony Science Academy Houston graduate. And um, with me, I have Mr. Dokeman, he's our college and career advisor, and also Jeffrey, who is our fellow uh, alumni and Harmony uh, intern at the Houston District. Um, I'd like to welcome all of you to our virtual career talk featuring our engineers. We hope that these series of career talks will provide you with a different career opportunities and pathways for you to explore. I'd like to begin by introducing everyone, all the experts who will be talking today. Uh, first, we have Ms. Nikki Loya. She is an environmental compliance consultant in the Houston area with a bachelor's in civil engineering and master's in environmental engineering. She has 21 years of experience and she's geared to provide services to all sectors, including local, state, and federal governments, individuals, and business corporations. She's also a CEO of her own business. Uh, then we have Mr. Ryan Demney, who is a space uh, exploration design engineer at Boeing supporting NASA Johnson Space Center on the International Space Station. And his next step programs to advanced human space exploration. He's also a Harmony graduate uh, alum, and he graduated with a bachelor's in mechanical engineering at the University of Houston. Uh, then we have Ms. Uh, Dara Griffith. She's a professional civil engineer and project management professional and a leader with over 15 years of experience completing capital and public works projects. She's currently working as a senior project manager on pre Precinct One Road and Bridge Capital Improvements projects for Harris County. Uh, so welcome everyone. Thank you so much once again for coming. Uh, we'll first start, like I said earlier, uh, I just want to mention Ms. Nikki will go first. Each speaker will have eight minutes. And then in the end, uh, once they're done, you can type your questions in the chat box on Zoom and we'll pick a few questions and they can answer it right away. And Jeffrey will um, ask the questions and pick them out. So Ms. Ms. Nikki, it's uh, your open floor for you. Hello everyone, I am Nikki Loya and I am a, a civil engineer um, with a, um, a, I guess, um, expertise or, uh, you know, a higher education in environmental engineering. I, um, my experience in school, I guess we were given a few uh, topics that we are supposed to cover in the eight minutes that we we're given. So we are, I'm going to go ahead and focus my conversation on that. And then you guys are, you know, feel free to um, ask questions as they come along. Um, I'll tell you that I, um, I got into civil engineering because I come from a um, family of civil engineers and um, I, I come from a, a, you know, a different background. I, I, you know, I hail from, you know, the, from Pakistan and um, I wanted to be a doctor. And uh, when I was 17, 18, my parents got all worried and they're like, no, if you become a doctor, it's going to be a very hard life for you. You'll have to, you know, like stay out all you know, night for your, your whatever hospital duties and it'll be a very difficult home life for you. So very reluctantly, you know, the, you know, the nice um, obedient kids we used to be back in 1991, um, I went ahead and got into civil engineering, which was highly um, encouraged by my family. By the third year of civil engineering, I sat down with my father and I asked him that, do you really think that I was going to survive structural um, design? I do not know what is going on. I, I really struggled. But finally, I'll tell you, you know, that um, I realized that there is an aspect of civil engineering that does click with me that I do understand, which is environmental engineering.
engineering. So lo and behold, I did find my little niche. I went on to get a, um, a master's in uh, environmental engineering and um, I'm super happy with my career. I, um, as far as clubs are concerned, of course, you know, um, uh, at that time, uh, I was, um, you know, a, a member of the American Society of Civil Engineers. Uh, besides that, um, you know, the student chapter, um, as far as internships are concerned, uh, the best internship that I landed that really launched my career and, you know, which, which was like, really put me on the track of environmental compliance was back then I was in Illinois for my master's and I, got, I landed an um, internship with the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency as a pollution prevention intern and that pretty much charted uh, you know I guess the course for the for the rest of my career so that was um, uh, you know a fantastic opportunity. Um, uh, besides that what is the favorite part I guess for me and um, my um, my line of work. I do a lot of uh, environmental compliance as it's as it is concerned to stormwater management. And um, the best part of that is that I get a lot of um, uh, windscreen time. I, I get a lot of uh, opportunities to uh, do site visits for environmental compliance. I also uh, do a lot of compliance um, audits for industries and a lot of phase one environmental site assessments. So again, these things give me opportunities to um, be, you know, um, out in the field a lot, you know, go and have like boots on the ground experience of what's actually going on at the sites that I'm visiting. And um, um, you know, that coupled with the report writing, with the sleuthing and the investigative aspect of it is uh, is exactly what I uh, was made to do, I realized in hindsight, you know, as, as I said, I was not super happy in the first few years of my engineering school, but I finally did find a niche. So that is about all I have to say, unless more questions come up. Um, um, thank you so much, Ms. Lloyd. Uh, that was great. It's great to hear your experience. Um, you did mention something about compliance. Um, what does that exactly mean? So I'll tell you that the, um, the kind of clients that um, me and my company serve are um, government agencies like the Port of Houston Authority or the Houston Airport System uh, or TxDOT and uh, when, uh, in the operation of such entities they get permits to operate from the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality and um, uh, those permits range from, you know, how uh, they would manage um, waste from their facilities, how they would um, manage the storm water that is, I guess, precipitating on their facilities. They want to make sure the, uh, the Commission on Environmental Quality wants to make sure that um, uh, waste management, air emission management, water manage management at these facilities are happening uh, within certain parameters so that, I guess, uh, their environmental footprint is in check and um, an environmental compliance consultant what they what they do is they help entities um, who are permitted under you know these permits from the uh, commission on environmental quality we help such entities to uh, stay within their permit limitations um, by periodic monitoring by helping them, you know, come up with BMPs, manage and implement their BMPs and overall keep their operations within the parameters required by the Commission on Environmental Quality. 
Okay, that sounds awesome. Uh, one more question. Um, I guess, like you said, you had a higher education in environmental um, engineering. And so you are focused on the water aspect of it. So what is there like more paths oh, yes. that you can take? Can you yeah, elaborate? I, absolutely. I personally am a stormwater expert. But uh, again, as I had mentioned earlier, or I guess you had mentioned when you were covering my bio that I uh, am a CEO of my own environmental consulting firm. And we uh, cover all aspe aspects of environmental compliance consulting from air to water, wastewater, um, waste management, you know. Uh, so, yeah, there, the, there is a lot of um, uh, I guess, bulleted items that come under environmental compliance. Okay, and then you chose that you wanted to pursue uh, water expertise during your master's, or is that like something you choose once you graduate with the degree? Yeah, when you graduate with the degree, they, you know, you are studying for, um, you know, multimedia. You're basically, you're, um, you know, they're your the coursework is multimedia mm -hmm. and then with as i guess as your career progresses the opportunities present themselves to where you know you kind of narrow down a niche so okay awesome thank you so much uh, miss loya uh, jeffrey um are there any questions in the chat box uh no there isn't any in the chat box yet i have a question on my own that i would like to ask hello yes um, so, pursuing your own company. There's still an echo coming from you. Hold on, can you? Hello? Yes. Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, as a CEO, uh, CEO owner of your own company, were there any setbacks that uh, had discouraged you from pursuing your degree or as well as your company? And how did you overcome those uh, setbacks and obstacles? You know what, I would say that uh, my case was on the contrary. I um, benefited uh, a lot from being a woman, from being a minority, because uh, I went ahead and started, I had worked, um, you know, with uh, uh, private consulting civil engineering firms for years, for almost the first um, 10, 12 years of my uh, career. And then I went ahead and joined the Port of Houston Authority as, um, you know, their um, stormwater manager. Uh, once I parted ways from that, I decided to start my own company. And a, and a, and a very big factor in that was that I realized that if I set up a company for myself um, uh, as a minority and women-based entity, I get um, a good 30% of any um, government solicitation that goes out for environmental work. So um, entities, again, such as the Department of Transportation, the Port of Houston, uh, Metro, uh, all these entities, when they send out solicitations for work uh, under the affirmative action, they are required to uh, give 30% of that work to a, a small business or a minority or women-based entity. So uh, this worked out fantastically in my case. You know, I am really good at what I do. The Port of Houston had seen me as their stormwater manage, uh, manager for years, so they knew my capability. And once I went ahead and registered myself as um, a minority and small business entity, um, every solicitation that they send out, the Port of Houston sends out, Metro, TechStart sends out, um, there are 
there is a very short list of um, small women-based minority entities in our Houston area that do what my co uh, company is capable of doing. Uh, so all the bigger civil engineering companies, when they go after these solicitations, they're looking for companies like me to pair up with to cover the 30% that's required by the affirmative action in the solicitation. So um, I actually... Uh, want to say truthfully that I only benefited for setting myself up, um, you know, as my own company. And um, I did not find any hurdles at all. I found all sorts of um, cooperation. And even kind of taking this, uh, the answer to this question on a little bit separate tangent, um, it is a common notion that the engineering world is no world for a woman. I have not found that out uh, ever. I have not, never seen that at all. Personally, I, again, uh, I, I, I gave you my background. My bachelor's is from Pakistan. My master's is um, from Illinois. And I am talking, you know, um, uh, I completed my master's in um, master, uh, my bachelor's degree in 96 and my master's in, you know, um, uh, 99 but, but so i'm just giving you a range of the, the the time that has passed since i graduated and in my entire year in all the firms that i've worked with work for um until you know all the way now to you know running my own company i have never seen a downside to being a woman in this industry at all that's awesome. That's actually really awesome. Thank you so much for your input, Ms. Loya. Um, now we're going to give Mr. Ryan Debney a chance to speak. Um, um, you can go ahead. He's from, he has a mechanical engineer background. So Mr. Debney. Uh, hi. So I'm a space exploration design engineer with uh, Boeing working at Johnson Space Center. We're contracted to work for the United States government through NASA. Um, and Boeing does a lot of things for NASA uh, at JSC. We sustain all of the space station hardware. Um, we originally flew station in the first element of the station in 1998. So uh, we maintain all of the systems for that, develop new systems for that, um, keep it running. When we originally flew the station uh it did not look like it does today it did not have internet it didn't have a single lcd or led screen uh and now it has 5g so uh we get to work on all of the uh life support systems it, it's a lot of mechanical aerospace um a little bit of human factors background working in there with the crew. We support real-time operations with the crew uh, when they break things and to work with them when they fix things. Another thing we do is develop exploration demos to run on the space station. So working with NASA in their next step program uh, is something I've got to do over the past two years. Next step is NASA's uh, next scientific and technical exploration partnership, uh, which is going to be the program that takes us to the moon and then onto Mars. So we have to work with uh, our international partners and our other contractors on developing these tech demos that, that we fly to the space station. Um, it's a really cool job. It's a really complex job. The ISS is a infinitely complex vehicle 
Uh, like I said, when we flew it, we were using computers on a docking port with ethernet and now the entire crew uses iPads and Apple watches to uh, measure all of their exercise every day. So just keeping up with commercial technology and making sure um, we're pushing the bounds of commercial technology, working with them on patents and diluting those technologies into the public is really fun. Um, and working on lessons learned is really fun. What can we learn from 20 years of constant habitation at the space station that we can apply to the moon and making rovers for the moon and making surface habitats for the moon. Um, right now we're working on surface habitats where the crew can stay for up to eight weeks at a time. So we really wanna take everything we've learned from ISS and, and move it on to the moon and then to Mars. Um, so I started at the University of Houston. Uh, I got a bachelor's in mechanical engineering. I got a minor in business management um, but that entire time I was heavily involved in ASME, uh, also heavily involved in SME, and I attended the engineering career fair at the school every single semester. I think I missed two semesters, uh, maybe when I was a sophomore. Um, and I, I think that is the biggest piece of advice I can give to students is that when you're taking your classes and you're spending all this time going to school, make sure you're spending dedicated time to look for a career and meet people in the field and talk to people in the field. Because I think the biggest mistake students make is when they spend all of their time going to class, studying for class, and then the career fair comes and they just don't know how to talk to an employer. Um, it really helps if you're developing those skills outside of the classroom if you're talking to people in the field, picking up the lingo that you need in the field so that when you're actually talking to someone, uh, you sound like you know what you're talking about. You're using the same dialogue and vocabulary. Um, so when I got out at UH, I started working at Bray making valves. Um, and then I actually went on to be a research assistant at the university working uh, kind of more in computer science and software. Um, but what I was really doing was developing a wide variety of CAD skills, programming skills. And that's what actually brought me to Boeing. That was the original reason they hired me on because I had no aerospace background at all, but because I was so good with CAD and working on the same CAD systems that they were using, I was able to uh, talk to them, move in there and Something that has helped me advance a lot in my career uh, recently is being really focused on what I want to do. So it did not take me a long time to figure out when I got to Boeing that I wanted to work on new exploration. So uh, the next step program, coming up with new systems for the moon, coming up with new systems for Mars. Um, ISS was cool, I liked that a lot, but a, a lot of it was fixing things that were built 20 years ago and I wasn't really crazy about that. So I kind of put myself in a position to work with people that were working on lessons learned um, and applying those to the new systems and, and work with people who also loved working exploration topics. So I did that. 
I was able to move into kind of this this new position that I've made for myself where I'm kind of bridging the gap between ISS and our next step programs. Um, so, so that's what I, I would say. I would say you need to um, be involved in organizations where you are, are putting yourself around people in the industry, uh, students that also want to be in the same industry. And if you're going to do any major projects for school, like uh, for mechanical engineering at the end, we have a student design project. And what I see a lot of people do is uh, they do like a research-based student design project where um, they're, they're not really doing something that is applicable to the industry they want to be in or based in the real world. It's kind of more theoretical. It's kind of more math-based. What your employer really wants to see is that you can solve problems. Um, so if you can find a problem in your industry, it doesn't even have to be somewhere you're working. You can go to a company and ask them what are extremely common issues that you're having in this industry. Um, if you can solve something like that for them completely for free, that's going to be very impressive to them. And that is a great jumping off point uh, for any, any career. Thank you so much, Ms. Ryan Debney. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, I see we have a few questions on the group chat, so if you can just ask him. Uh, yes, we have a question from uh, one of our former alumni, Emron. He asks, um, since UH lacks a formal aerospace engineering degree, uh, how does one gain experience from uh, just a general engineering degree to uh, gain experience in the working field, especially with like the aerospace engineering field? Um, you're, you're going to have to, to do something where you're, you're probably working in the field of your choice. Uh, for me, it was mechanical, but you, you want to work in aerospace. So, you know, all of the engineering fields are intertwined with one another. Um, you know, a mechanical engineering company doesn't only do mechanical things and an aerospace company needs their mechanical engineers and their chemical engineers and electrical and so on and so on to make all of the systems work and play together. So first of all, you need to get really good in your, your discipline, your field. Uh, then if you want to get academic experience in uh, the aerospace field, if we're talking specifically about UH not having an undergraduate uh, aerospace program, you can take the graduate aerospace classes um, at the end of the, the UH undergraduate engineering degrees. I would only suggest doing that if you are very dedicated and know you will succeed in those classes because they will be very difficult. Um, but I would even say, if you really wanna work in aerospace and you love going to UH, um, stay for the graduate degree. We have a aerospace engineering master's degree and actually we have an extremely impressive space architecture graduates degree that combines um, architectural elements from the College of Architecture and aerospace elements from the College of Engineering. I would have loved to do that degree. That is not the graduate degree I did. I'm currently pursuing my master's in mechanical engineering at Auburn, but um, I would have seriously loved to do that degree, but you have to be a full-time student and I think it takes about three or four years. And we also have another question. 
uh, we, a lot of students were also wondering if uh, having the necessary skills, such as you said, understanding lingual or just having uh, some background knowledge, does that make you stand out to these certain companies? Because there's multiple programs that you can do. And like you said, there's programs where students can have hands-on experiences and do research and provide like input with uh, designs and such for each company to get like a little insight. But is there something else they can do or does that uh, help them have a better opportunity of getting selected or being or even being contacted by these companies to have a fur, uh, further more like uh, like opening for them to like essentially work for the company or yeah have a position in anything you can do working with a company um, is helpful to you rather you're solving a problem for them for free with some uh, academic uh, project you're working on I've uh, seen organizations like ASME solves issues for companies. Um, all of that is very useful experience. All of that is things you can put on your resume. And that's the kind of stuff you really want to have on your resume because you're solving issues for people. Uh, when you go to a career fair and you stand in the line of like 50 kids and they all hand in their resume and they all look the exact same, uh, the, the recruiter asks you what uh, is unique about your skill set, and you can say, I'm a problem solver because I've done this and I've done this, and I know about the industry. Um, you know, I'm experienced in the industry, and I would be a really good hire. I have a question, Ryan. Yes, sir. How does it feel? How does it feel to help the astronauts and the International Space Station? Because you're a mechanical engineer and you could be working anywhere, you know, in a warehouse or third or GM or Ford or, you know, but you are helping the astronauts to fix things, you know, replace pins, you know, whatever, and International Space Station. Yeah, that is my career focus. Uh, like I said, I love exploration. I love pushing the bounds, going further and further. Um, so that is definitely my personal focus. So I love it. I, um, you know, skip to work every day. It's really awesome. Not that every day at work is the best day ever, but I certainly enjoy what I do. And that is what you definitely need to figure out very early on is what you enjoy. Cause like you point out, a mechanical engineer or any other kind of engineer really can go work anywhere. Um, there's always going to be multiple positions open anywhere you want to work for any discipline, but you need to figure out where you succeed, what you're best at, and really how you can get in there. Um, and it's going to be really easy to, to get into the field you want to once you know what it is. I think half the people's issues is they don't know what they want to do. They just want a job. Thank you so much, Mr. Ryan Debney. Uh, we loved we loved hearing from you. Um, we are actually a bit late on time, so we're going to move on to Ms. Dara Griffith. Uh, she's also a civil engineer, so we can't wait to hear what you have to say. Thank you, Ms. Alina. I went to Arizona State University right out of high school, and I lived in the dorms while I was going to, to ASU my freshman year. And then I moved off campus for the following years. 
And I say that because my freshman year, I feel like was extremely foundational for me, um, both at, with my success at um, a college environment and then also professionally <coughs> for a couple reasons. Um, biggest thing was being on campus. I was closer to a lot of resources, whether it be tutors, um, the library. I spent a lot of time in study groups with uh, my classmates working on class projects and th those team environments helped me learn one, how to work in a team environment rather than just working on a homework assignment by myself like you traditionally do in high school or grade school. And you also are, are doing it in an environment where each person has a different personality, they have different resources, different levels of skills and experiences, and learning how to do that in a team environment, which you will do in a professional environment forever. You, you don't ever, you hardly ever work just by yourself. And even when you are doing work in a professional environment, you're doing it, but you're doing it as a piece to uh, a bigger project or a bigger solution. Um, so it, for me, it, it's making sure you have a set routine, um, have that structure, you know what your resources are, you're taking advantage of, of each of those resources. And part of those resources are financial resources. Uh, for me, I didn't have the, uh, having additional financial aid, whether it be through scholarships um, and working in college was required for me. My parents weren't able to pay for that. So just understand that it, while you're going to college, there are financial resources that can make it feasible for you to actually go to college. But then there's other resources as far as the people aspects, it being uh, professors that are there. I remember having to do homework assignments and trying to understand how to do it and have making sure that I went to professors office hours, um, also using uh, tutors, but then it's networking through your classmates. Um, that is, I, I have classmates that were classmates in college that are now lifelong friends. And they're also resources that I use as references in order to obtain jobs that I've, I've done as I've grown throughout my profession. Um, I, I actually was involved in several different organizations as a student and I'm still involved in, on a professional level. Um, when I went to college, I knew I wanted to be an engineer, but I wasn't sure what type of engineer I wanted to be. So for me, it was kind of a process of elimination. I had realized I wasn't gonna be a mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, software engineer, um, aeronautical engineer, although I admired those, they, they just didn't fit me. Um, so I ended up doing civil engineering. It just seemed to, to fit for me. And you'll slowly kind of realize that with, with the types of classes, typically your freshman year and the introduction of, hey, this is a strength in high school, Math was a huge strength for me. Uh, science was a huge strength for me. But as, as you go further along, the, the areas that are your strengths will kind of help guide you of, hey, this is my strength. I'm going to keep doing that. So I would recommend the same thing. Um, and then I also highly recommend joining organizations, student organizations. Again, it's part of building that network 
building the, the people around you. And it also builds the, the application and understanding like Ryan was mentioning of the lingo. Um, one organization that I joined was American Society of Civil Engineers. As a student chapter, we would attend an uh, annual conference where we designed, tested, built a concrete canoe. And as part of that, you had to do materials testing. With materials testing um, in a professional environment, we do that for road and bridge projects. We design a roadway project. We test the materials during construction and make sure that they're conforming to the, the requirements, the strength requirements, the durability, so that they're going to last over time. Um, so those things, those organizations help connect you to people, but they also help apply the principles that you're learning in a college environment to what you'll be doing in the long run as a professional. Um, my favorite part of working in this profession is I feel like it's a really good mixture between um, technical expertise and customer service. And so for me, helping people find solutions to problems, I really enjoy that. Um, so it's definitely a huge part of, of my enjoyment and being in this profession. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, my major responsibilities are overseeing uh, professional engineers as right now as we're going through the design process. So that's preparation of a set of plans and specifications and the cost estimate so that eventually that, that project um, which is right now usually a roadway or bridge type of project, that that project can be constructed within a specific time frame and a specific budget um, that's allocated for that project. The pathway that I took in pursuing this profession, um, part of it included, um, I did a minor in women's studies during my undergraduate and although that's not technical in nature, I, I really think that it ended up applying for me because it, it strengthened my writing abilities and my reading comprehension, um, the speed, which is really necessary as you're moving forward into a professional environment. I also took during the summers, um, I took classes from a community college for some of the off, um, off shoot type of skills such as CAD and MicroStation. Um, they were a little bit less expensive than going to a, a major university. And those actually ended up coming in really handy when I was doing my internship my senior year. And then eventually after I graduated, um, I, I have aspirations to be either the owner of my own company or to work on the executive level of an organization. So I ended up going back to school and getting my business uh, master's in business administration. And then the other thing um, I think I didn't realize until I was in my MBA program was there is always as a professional the expectation that you're going to continue learning. So the desire that you have now of wanting to learn more about the industry, keep that going. Um, and you'll, you'll need that in order to obtain certifications that are necessary within your industry. Thank you. Thank you, that was awesome, Nastara. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, can you go ahead and read out the questions? We have uh, quite a few for you, Nastara. 
Yes, uh, some of the students would like to know uh, which scientific discipline would you need to be able to adapt in to succeed in the engineering degree, as well as how many years of college did it take you to build up to become a successful engineer? And what are the pros and cons of working in a team environment? And what should a future engineer know to uh, adapt to these environmental changes? So I think to be successful as an engineer, um, the fundamental thing is engineers solve problems. And problems can be technical in nature. And so most people, I think, especially at a younger age, I thought, oh, technical just means I'm gonna have like this math equation, I'm gonna have to figure out what, what it equals. Um, in a professional environment, it's, it's usually not that simple. Um, it might be more um, geometric, like you might have like a physical obstruction and you've got to fi figure out, do we remove the obstruction out of the way? Do we go over it? Do we go under it? Um, and sometimes the problems are process related. Um, there's a lot of permitting that's required, especially in civil engineering. And so sometimes it's finding out, hey, we need to get this permitted. Um, there's all of these standards and guidelines and you can, you can meet those standards and guidelines in a bunch of different ways. So given that scenario, trying to find what is the solution that works in that scenario or trying to find a solution maybe that people haven't thought of. Being very creative um, is good. And I think some, some people forget that as an engineer because we're so strong in mathematics and technical things that um, being creative is very important. Uh, a major skill set that I think is also important or more important is communication, uh, ability to communicate verbally and writing. All of those are really important, especially if you want to progress in, in, as a professional, you'll need to be able to speak um, properly, usually either to a team environment, in a team environment or to management or um, people that you may be leading. Communication and the ability to communicate effectively is critical um, to be successful. I think I covered all those questions. Um, was there anything that I didn't quite hit on? Jeffrey. Uh, and, and uh, go ahead. Yeah, uh, no, you covered uh, pretty much essentially everything. Just um, if you could touch bases on uh, like a little bit more about the college degree as well as uh, classes you might have needed to take yes. for our yes. students. And then uh, we also, to be more specific, it also, um, someone said, uh, how many years of college do you have to build uh, up to be a successful engineer and how do you build it up? So I think that the classes, usually your freshman year, you'll have core classes like physics, math, English. Um, they're very general and generic and, and it's on purpose. It's to make sure that you, uh, calculus, which is the math part, um, they're, they're making sure you know how to do the computations, but it, it's, it's this foundation that you build upon on how to do the more complicated stuff. Um, but it, once, once you get kind of out of that core stuff, you'll start, you should hopefully have interest in things 
and try them out. You take a course and say, hey, I think I want to do chemical engineering. So you don't do chem, like you don't like sign up for all of the engineering classes, but you start, start off with taking a chemistry class, uh, biology class, those types of things. If, if you think you're interested in doing electrical engineering, you take a circuits class and how you do in those classes and your, your passion or your reaction to those classes will kind of drive, hey, do I want to stay doing this? And then you'll just kind of keep going in that direction. And sometimes you might be interested in multiple things and that's okay to do the multiple courses. Um, an undergraduate degree, which is a typically referred to as a bachelor's of science, that's typically four years, um, depending on the, the way that you're set up. You can start at a community college, or my experience is sometimes you can start off at a community college and go there for two years and then transition to get your core classes completed and then transition to a major university and complete um, your the upper level of your undergraduate degree. So usually about four, four years, maybe five years if you've added on a minor or something else. And then a master's program typically is two years, um, but I think there may be some, some master's programs depending on what your focus is. So there's like a master's in science, there's a master's in business administration, a master's in uh, public administration. So if you're interested in those, those I think are usually two years or three years. And then after a master's program, there's also doctorate. Uh, you can get a doctorate also in engineering. I have not done that route yet. <laughs> um, it, I think the doctorate, I, I, because I haven't really looked into it, I'm not sure. I'm guessing two years, maybe an additional two to four years for a doctorate. Doctorates also um, require like a, a major thesis. So you, if you get a doctorate, you're, you are an ex, you're considered an expert within that field, which is a different distinction than being a professional engineer. A professional engineer is a specific certification, it's a license. Um, and with the license, um, that it give, grants you the ability to stamp and seal plans and documents saying that you you are ensuring that they're complying and that um, essentially they won't do harm. Uh, when you're a professional engineer, you're saying, I've done the, the technical analysis to ensure that this thing that that is going to get constructed will be safe. Thank you so much, Ms. Dara. Uh, I'm, I'm so grateful to have all of you here. We've approached, uh, we're heading towards the end of our career talk. And I have one last question. This is a general question for all, uh, all of you guys. Um, in a few sentences, can you guys um, elaborate a bit on how do you avoid being complacent in your roles? For me personally, when I think about engineering, I'm not an engineering major, but when I just think about it, it feels as though it's a, a stagnant role. It, it just seems, I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but it feels like there isn't a lot going on. Although from what I've heard right now, there is so much going on and you guys do so much, but you guys have quite a lot of experience, more than seven years of experience. So how do you guys avoid being complacent in your roles? Uh, we can start with Ms. Uh, Loya. Well, um, actually, uh, in the, uh, I can speak for civil engineering, of course. Um, and uh, it is anything but stagnant. It is anything but um, 
you know, repetitive and monotonous. It is actually the polar opposite because um, whether it's Miss Dara, you know, uh, you know, um, designing her roadways and bridges, or whether it's me helping industries, um, you know, with their permit compliance or um, you know their stormwater or sewage. Um, uh, permits and um, you know related design uh, no two projects are the same uh, you know um, they are each project is completely different each day in the morning and I uh, I'm sure that Ms. Dara will um, concur that each day when we go and sit at our desks in the morning we actually uh, really don't know how the day is going to be you know it's full <laughs> of surprises and it's kind of like a whack-a-mole kind of thing. It's troubleshooting. And I think that is what she meant when she said that you have to be creative. Uh, you mm -hmm. have to have these, uh, you know, awesome communication skills. There is so much co communication, so much coordination, so much um, uh, that is... Um, Again, you know, for lack of a better word, every day is a different day. Every project is a different project. No two projects are identical in any way at all. You know, you can only hope that, you know, you can sort of, you know, infer back from a project that you did in the past and you can draw some information from it. So mm -hmm. I have felt, um, you know, me being, you know, focused on more, more the environmental aspect, but I, you know, my husband is a civil engineer and my brother is a civil engineer, my father is a civil engineer. And so I understand all aspects of engineering, of the civil engineering element. And I am yet to hear anybody being bored or calling it <laughs> mundane or repetitive. So it is, it is the polar opposite, my dear, polar opposite. Thank you so much. That's awesome. I actually, I don't have any personal experience with the engineering field. So, uh, but that sounds really exciting. I'm really happy for you guys to pursue such a good field. Now that I know more, I would like to firstly thank you, Mr. Demney. Do you have anything to um, add on to uh, the question about being avoiding being complacent in your role? No, I mean, I agree with her. I think the variety of your job comes from the variety of your role. I know some people that have worked in my company, uh, drafters that have worked there for more than 20 years, and they love drawings and drafting and uh, adapting assemblies and creating assembly structures. And they've done that forever and they love it. And I am not one of those people that wants to do the same thing every day. So uh, Monday, I worked on a life support project. And then Tuesday, I went to mission control because we had the support on orbit operations. Mm -hmm. And uh, today, I was working on a structural refit of something. So like she said, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Um, but that's because that's the role I'm in and that's the role I enjoy. And I've told my manager that, and I like that variety. So uh, when we do get new and different types of projects, I like to, you know, go over that and, and see if it's something I would succeed in. But if I was very niche, if I knew I only enjoyed one type of thing and building that one type of thing, you know, you can create that role for yourself. And if that's the work you like, you, you can create that for yourself. Right. Awesome. I'm glad you get to have that variety. I think I'm like that too. So I'm kind of questioning my career path now, but uh, hopefully nothing will happen. And Ms. Griffith? Um, I would say just be careful. If, if you are feeling like you're being complacent, then um, it's probably not the job that you're doing. It's probably very internal. So um, 
if, if you ever get to that point where you feel like you're you're stuck in a rut, um, maybe you are in it, it, it might actually be an indication that you you need a change that's different, maybe different from the thing that you're doing, possibly different from the um, either the position that you're working or the company that you're working for. But usually if, if you get like that, it's I think it's it's an, a symptom of something else that's going on. Um, but generally, I would say there might be tasks that feel mundane or monotonous, um, but overall, usually each day is, is different and, and it balances out with the stuff that's boring. <laughs> there's, there's excitement and boredom and you, you need, you know, a balance of the two. Thank you. I didn't mean to uh, imply that it was boring. I just, I didn't know enough, but thank you so much, you guys, um, panelists for sharing your personal experiences and how, and about your journey. I think that will bring us to our, um, conclude our career talk today. Thank you, Ms. Griffith. Thank you, Mr. Demney and Ms. Loya for coming out and um, sharing your experiences with us. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys.